This project is brought to you by Kadri Clothing, which is an American-made product developed by female SOF veterans. Kadri is for the go-getter, the pathfinder, the woman who looks at the uphill battle outdoors or in the workplace and says, bring it. They're for that hard worker, the innovator, the woman who shatters glass ceilings. Kadri is for those 34% of EMTs, 21% of paramedics, 15% of police officers, 4% of firefighters, and 15% of military service members who chose an extraordinary occupation. Check out Kadri Clothing at kadriclothing.com. Three women, three warfighters, three voices, three stories. Tiffany Myrick, Annie Kleiman, and Eve Mayora. And although I started to read a much longer version of what the cultural support team program was, I began to think, let them explain. After all, that's what the Veterans Project is about. Their perspectives. So I'd just like to thank these incredible women for telling the story. A story that's not heard enough, but I know will resonate. Three different backgrounds, three lives lived, three humans who were a vital part of something greater. And that's the importance of all of this. Our collective stories in standing up and answering the call of service. And before we get into the podcast, I felt it important to dedicate this to three other women. First Lieutenant Ashley White, Captain Jennifer Moreno, and Senior Chief Petty Officer Shannon Kent. All killed in action. A painful but important reminder of the toll of our efforts in the global war on terrorism. May we never forget their sacrifices and those losses felt daily by families left behind. Just a short listener's note before we get into the podcast. This being a three-person show, there will be three women, but we chose to give each of them their own space to speak individually as that's long been the mission of the work. The order will be Tiffany Myrick, Annie Kleiman, and Eve Mayora. Thanks for listening. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'll be your host as always with us. We have a very special guest. We're doing a special thing here with the CSTs. Uh, First Sergeant Tiffany Myrick. Tiffany, thanks for being on. We appreciate having you here. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Uh, you have a unique perspective as a CST, and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on that world. Okay. Let's go back to your life as a civilian, and let's talk about what it was like growing up and where did you grow up i grew up in norfolk virginia okay norfolk mm-hmm. virginia yes. what was it like growing up and what led your path to the united states army um i think growing up i would say it's i mean i don't know how everybody else grew up but i would think it's pretty normal nothing um out of the ordinary um from my perspective uh, I mean, we had tough times growing up, but even despite all of that, I did not have any intentions in joining the military at all. Um, my plan originally was to go to school, you know, 
be some sort of medical doctor because, you know, that's the thing. That's what people are supposed to do, right? Um, uh, go to school for, I was in college for biology and, um, yeah, it wasn't working out too well. Um, I had my daughter at a young age. So I had my daughter at 16 years old. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, just working. And I, I think just the, the college life, just I wasn't a traditional student mm-hmm. with, you know, my life circumstances. So it doesn't work out the way that I planned it or how I imagined. So um, I remember I was at Norfolk State University. That's why I was um, started uh, my freshman year there. And I saw a student in the student union building which was like a you know a place we would gather you know do homework play some pool stuff like that and she was in bdus and mm. she looked really good her hair was nice and neat her boots were shiny and i asked her i said well what do you do you know and she told me that she was in rotc i had no idea what that meant um and i just thought she looked neat and put together and um you know i asked her how could i do rotc and then she told me um, you know, to, to speak to her professor and, but I ended up going to a recruiter instead. Um, so I originally going to the armed forces center, um, I was going to join and be a Marine. That was my plan. Um, cause in my mind, they were like the toughest, you know, all the movies, you know, uh, full metal jacket, the, the Marine Corps was it. So, um, I was going to be a Marine, but an army recruiter kind of snatched me up on my way to the Marine Corps recruiter's <laughs> office and, here I am. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So were you excited about being in the Army? Was that something no. cool for you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I signed up for a two-year contract. Um, so the plan was to just get the GI Bill. Um, so two years was enough for me to get not the full GI Bill at the time, but um, I forget how much it was, maybe like 20000 or something for school. And um, I chose military police for the security clearance. Mm. Looks good on a resume, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you? So you didn't like that, though? You didn't like being in? Uh, not initially, no. no. Uh, I mean, when I first, it was just a big shock. Um, you know, the yelling and, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't for me. It was supposed to be a, a short-term solution to a problem, mm-hmm. right? And um, that was the initial plan for it. What made you want to stay? Um, well, actually few, few reasons. Um, initially it was, I didn't want to stay in Korea. My first duty station was Korea. So immediately after graduating, um, basic training, I was sent over to, uh, South Korea and on a two year contract, I either had to stay there and leave the military from Korea, which gave me an extra few months there outside of the 12 months that I was assigned, um, or reenlist. And it, and they, um, re they re stood up another, uh, unit MP unit in Fort Eustis. It was, uh, deactivated in World War II, 202nd MP company. And they reactivated at Fort Eustis. I'm from Norfolk. It made sense. Hey, reenlist, go home. Don't stay here in Korea. Um, so that was the initial reenlistment was to get home and not stay in Korea any longer than I had to. Mm. Yeah. And how long was that reenlistment for? Uh, the reenlistment, I believe was a three year, uh, enlistment, um, did that, uh, during that time, you know, deployment. And I think that's when it started like, uh, 
after returning from Korea, uh, we deployed to Afghanistan eight months mm. um, after returning. So, you know, going over there, working with, you know, your your team, your your squad, um, you kind of build those relationships, that camaraderie. And even though it wasn't that great <laughs> of a deployment uh, with the various issues and all that and from a specialist, you know, as an E4 um, point of view, um, it just showed me that there's a lot more to being in the service and the other people that you meet. And then you, you naturally start, you know, even though if you came in for non-patriotic reasons, you know, you, you naturally start gaining those, um, especially in a war zone. You know, you have people dying over there. I mean, it's, it's real, right? So um, you, you figure out, like, you're there, you got to fight for, you know, people to your left and right. And even if you're not really thinking, you know, for me, I wasn't thinking like fighting for my country. I was fighting for, you know, my brothers and sisters to my left and right. So if anything had to happen, if I, you know, we went outside the wire, whatever it was that we did, um, you know, I was there for them. Mm -hmm. So how, so you were in for three more years. What made you, and you said you wanted to, you decided to stay in after that because you saw a little bit of. I saw a little bit, but every, I had about four re-enlistments. I kept re-enlistments these short stints because I I was one of those, you know, I'm getting out after this. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it just didn't, I wasn't ready to get out. (laughs) And then, you know, you have all the, the people senior to you telling you, about the potential that you have and you know you you see there's more to it um and then sometimes it's just your leaders you know that 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 see potential in you um the experiences that you have I mean I had a great experience doing my deployment um my first deployment being uh, almost a FET I want to say it was similar to the FET but I don't even think the FET program even existed in 2005 but um I was trained to assist the Marine Corps, a company in the Marine Corps, um, to search women and children. Uh, so we trained for that mission. Um, we went to the ranges with the A and A. Um, we had we ate with them. It was we went out outside of Kandahar. I think we ended up going to Jalalabad, and it. I saw Afghanistan from a different lens because. You know, if anybody been to Jalalabad areas, it's green, it's pretty. Um, so it's way different in Kandahar. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just gave me a different perspective from what Afghanistan had, the people. Um, and it was like I wanted to do more. So as it ran, you know, time to reenlist came, it was kind of like, well, I could do more and I could get a school or a little bit of money or this and that. So it was, yeah. Kept yeah. you around. Kept me around. Found a way. Kept, kept me around. <laughs> so yeah. being a basically somewhat of a fat, <clears throat> you had some of that experience of what it meant to be a CST later I did. on. I did. With the Marine yeah. Corps, which is very mm-hmm. interesting. So yeah. this was about six years later that they stood up the CSTs. Mm-hmm. Did you do any deployments in between then and 2005? No. Just okay. uh, 2004 to 2005. Um, and the next deployment that I had was with. Uh, as a CST. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you were part of CST team too, right? I was, yes. What was it like being a part of, you know, you, you're some of the groundbreakers. Obviously, team one kind of came in and broke the ground, but CST mm-hmm. team two had to deal with some of the things that CST team three probably didn't have to deal with. So yeah. what was it like being in team two? It was great. You um, loved it? That was, I would say that that is 
definitely one of the highlights of my career. Um, so, so talk a little bit about what it was like to be a part of CSD team too, and you know, kind of those initial groundbreaking stages. Um, so during that time, I, th- I think we were, I mean, I, I can't speak for them, but I felt isolated from other women of that caliber. Mm. Um, so, you know, when it comes to physical fitness, uh, you know, like, I guess the tenacity of, of, I I saw myself and how, you know, more aggressive I was. Um, I didn't come across a lot of women who were like me, you know, a few, um, but not many. And uh, so when I saw the flyer to go try out to be a CST and do all, I was like, oh, this, this is easy. I do a ruck march, you know, in a minute, I think, I mean, it's our hour and 19 minutes, I believe it was. And it was like, oh, that's too easy. All this stuff is too easy. Right. So I get there with this big head and, you know, I think I'm just outstanding and, and hot shit. Right. Can mm-hmm. I say that? Yeah. yeah okay. Absolutely. <laughs> so, we recommend it. Yes. Yeah, so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm like hot shit going in there. Um, and then we get to assessment and selection you know, I, I mean, I don't know how everybody else was, but I'm like sizing people up, just looking at them like, oh, yeah. But you can't tell. Everybody's kind of in a whole different uh, light at that time. And then once we get to, you know, start doing our assessment and selection and we're running and we're doing, you know, obstacle courses, all these things, I'm like, they, they are strong. <laughs> I suck. <laughs> I need to step my game up. They are fast. Oh, my gosh. Like, I never... Um, it was two uh, two women who were in the assessment and selection. It was also a part of uh, uh, CST2. They ran their two mile in 10 minutes and something. I don't know what it was. But to mm. me, that was amazing. Yeah. You never really, you know, you never see that. Like the fastest I saw, usually maybe high 11s, low 12s for men. Um, so, yeah, just seeing them, just how fast they're rucking, and I'm like dying, my back hurt, my feet hurt, and you know I got a straight face, but I'm wondering like they obviously not sucking like I'm sucking because they are moving. Um, but it was a it was a really good experience, and just just being around these women who were just not only physically fit but highly intelligent, um, you know, and they just they just brought so much more to what you know I realized that the military had. Um, and then me being a part of them, you know, you know, I was like, man, I'm a part of this. These these women are awesome. So, you know, that's where it initially started. Um, just I was very proud and happy to be a part of a group of, of women of that caliber. Definitely. When you finally got to your teams and were you attached to a special forces group? No. Um, and it was funny because so. OK, so during. um we were we did all of our training. We did our uh, six week training uh, at Fort Bragg, and we were asked if we wanted to be a part of uh, VSO, which was SF, or Direct Action, which was uh, 75th Ranger Regiment. So um, towards the end, when we were choosing which um, team that we wanted to be on, and obviously we would say this is what we want, but it was ultimately up to our cadre to let us, you know, to determine which teams uh, fit best for us. But so they came in and did a brief. Um, I remember I was just, 
I was just smitten with the the brief the Rangers had. They came in with these cool videos, things flashing, night vision. You know, they had rock music playing, and I'm just watching it with my mouth open, like hell yeah, like, that's where I want to go. <laughs> um, so they sold me immediately um, when he came in and gave us a brief and just how motivated. Uh, I can't remember his name, but it was a first sergeant that came in and he was just talking highly of, you know, 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, he was just very welcoming and like whoever want to be a part of this team, um, you know, be a part of our unit uh, to support us. He was just open to it. I didn't feel that SF gave that much um their brief wasn't as inspiring or welcoming. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't get those vibes from them. So, uh, but Rangers, I definitely did. And I wanted to, I wanted to do that. So it me like, okay, direct action, raising my hand right now. I don't need to, I don't need to think about it. Mm-hmm. Put me on this. This is what I want to do. Yeah. 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 What was it like getting to the Rangers and working with those guys? Was it professionals you thought it would be? Extremely professional. Yes. We did um, our pre-mission training at uh, Aberdeen training facility. So we did it there with uh, some Rangers from Fort Benning that they came up um, and they trained us there. And it was really good. Um, the guys were very professional. Uh, we had a good time. Um, we had some tough, well, like physically tough times um, throughout it. Uh, it wasn't just completely easy, but overall it was it was good training. Yeah. Um, and they were just, I was ready to go to work. Yeah. Um, and while we were there, we they told us what part of Afghanistan we were going to. And um, I actually was disappointed that I got J-Bad again because I already been there, you know, back in 2004. So I wanted to go. I think it was Salerno because mm-hmm. that was where they were talking about how badass it was to be in Salerno. So that's why I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get to go there. And they sent me there and they said, oh, you're going to be with Blue. And I was thinking, well, who is Blue? And Blue is uh, was a Navy SEAL. Mm. Um, so my heart dropped and sank, and I was sad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be with the Rangers. You know, Rangers. Yeah. Um, but that's how it started, yeah. You signed up for Rangers, and yep, you got and the SEALs. Well, actually, I ended up getting both. Oh, really? So it was like best of both worlds. Ooh, talk yeah. about that. Tell me about that. Um, so... Uh, we got there, they had a uh, ranger platoon and a SEAL team uh, squadron there, uh, part of Team JMAD. Okay. So, uh, basically, they either rotated nights to go out on mission or some, you know, it was some nights was dual missions. So, uh, my partner and I, we would split um, and one would go at rangers, one would go with the SEALs. Okay. So, or, you know, sometimes we was like, well, no, I want to go with this person. I want to go with that. It was like, we're rock, paper, scissors, or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Either um, or. Yeah, either or. So that's, that's, usually, so I got the best of both worlds. What was it know? like going out with the uh, SEALs? Did you enjoy that? I did. Yeah. I did. I, yeah, I definitely did. Um, so the SEAL team was more, you know, they're more mature. Um, they've, you know, I was a staff sergeant at the time. So, they were staff sergeants. Sergeant first class was the majority of the team. All right, well, not staff sergeant, but E6, E7. Um, I forget the Navy equivalent. Everybody right. does. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> um, so we went out. Oh, well, you know, like the they were enlisted. I, I felt like we had something in common with that. Um, and they were actually pretty cool. So when we got there, uh, it was Gold Squadron. Um, so unfortunately, when we got there, they were stood down. Uh, there was a... 
I don't know if you're familiar with Extortion 17. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we got to country August 9th uh, and Extortion 17. That was August 5th. Okay. Um, so by the time that I got to the team, they were stood down. Um, you know, it was a lot of emotions going on during that time. Um, so that was, I just felt like, I felt I didn't belong, mm. you know, because they were all bonded, obviously as a team, but you know, with that, uh, you know, unfortunate incident that happened, you know, losing all their guys, that was, that was tough. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, just I just saw a different side, you know, the very emotional, you know, side of them, and it was kind of like I was treading lightly, didn't want to say anything. They hurt anybody, you know, like not hurt their feelings per se. Well, I shouldn't say hurt feelings, but you know, um, to you know, just say anything that could piss somebody off. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so That's you know, I was like treading lightly on you know what I would say. Um, hardly wanted to talk mm-hmm. much, you know. I was like, this just happened. They don't care if I want to know where the gym is or they don't, you know, like, uh, any, anything about going out. I didn't want to really talk about it, but they had a, uh, I think he was like a, a sergeant major. I'm so bad with the ranks. I probably should know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were actually very welcoming. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they accepted us coming in. We got our kit, our equipment. Um, actually one of, I got the Navy digital uh, They're more pat. Yep. I think it's called. Yeah, I, yeah. I have I have that, and it was a little big. So one of the guys, uh, he cut it, sewed it. They had a sewing machine. So you just seeing this this guy. You know, I remember he got a John Deere hat and handlebar mustache. <laughs> he's behind the sewing machine in their ready room. You know, and he's making sure like you know my my equipment fit. Um, they also like what ammo you need, what weapons do you have? You know, and uh, they actually gave us a uh, MP7. Mm. So it was smaller, uh, four point, I forget the caliber. I think it was 4.6. Mm. Uh, cause, uh, M4 is a 5.56, mm-hmm. uh, caliber, um, ammo. And I believe that one was 4.6. So it was a little smaller, um, a little lighter. They like to move fast mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, be a, a little lighter. So, um, you know, they helped us with all of our equipment and making sure that we had, what we need. And the Rangers did the same thing. Uh, except the Rangers, I was, we had the same equipment. So with them, I wore my issued, you know, IOTV kit. You know, I was a lot heavier uh, going out with the Rangers. Um, so. So you're literally yeah. switching uniforms in between missions. I did. Wow. I did. That's um, wild. Yeah. They, they made sure, you know, for tactical crossload reasons that we wore the same thing and had the same equipment that they had. So yeah. was it like your first mission going out? Did you, were you ready for that? Were you excited? I was I was very excited. I was nervous, you know, because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to be a burden to them. So I was definitely nervous. Was it with the uh, Rangers or Seals on your first mission? I believe my first mission was with the Rangers. Okay. Yeah, because the Seals were still down, so we went with the Rangers first. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Do you remember it well? Um, I don't remember it being anything super exciting. Um, just different and. But I don't, honestly, I don't really remember. Uh, Is there any one mission you remember very well? I remember a, f- a few. <laughs> uh, I just don't remember the first mission. Yeah, that yeah. I probably should, but I don't. Um, Give me a good one. Give me um, one that you really remember. So yeah. one of, okay, so since we talk about the Rangers, one of the, this was a little later in a deployment. Um, so 
we were going out, it's like offset mission. And so offset, uh, we had to walk a little further than, I believe it's a more than a thousand uh, clicks. Um, so we had to walk a little further and you know, just, I didn't think it was going to be that bad. However, <laughs> <laughs> we went up and down up and down ridge lines it was so bad the rocks were loose mm. so when we would go up it was so steep sometimes and you would slide back down and then if you know just just on patrol in afghanistan we have not so everything's at night so we have our uh, mvds on and your depth perception is kind of off a little bit so you're tripping and falling um i'm breathing heavy my quads I burn it so bad. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, my gosh, this is it. I, I'm going I'm to fall out. Like, I can't, you know, like, if I fall out, I'm going to ruin it for everybody. And this is me self-talking myself. I'm going to ruin it for everybody. I'm going to, you know, like, they're going to never want to take women out. They're going to say, see, this is why women shouldn't be on any mission because of me. Because you, it's like you and I'm thinking everything. See, this is that shit. Why are you out here in Afghanistan? You could have been at home doing some regular MP stuff, but here you go with Ranger <laughs> Regiment. And they just walk, and you can't tell, you know, if anybody's sucking. I just know, and I have Peltors on, so my breathing is extra loud. <laughs> so I'm just thinking all these negative thoughts. And then I was just, you know, just keep going, keep going, just, you know, and I would look and look at my partner. And again, I got my partner, uh, Drea. She was one of those sub, you know, 11 minute, two mile mm. runners. PT and, stud. Absolutely. Yes. And she was on, you know, West Point's cross country team. So I just, am I, oh, she's, she's perfectly fine. You suck, Tiffany. Like, why are you here? <laughs> um, so we, they stopped and they stopped because someone needed an IV. Mm. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> So when they stopped, I tried to take a knee. I mean, it was so steep sometimes. Like I had my M4, the barrel would hit the dirt. That's how, you know, like the rocks and mm -hmm. everything. That's how steep it was at times. And it was higher altitude. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this sucks. And so we, we, I tried to take a knee, but I was so uncomfortable. And I, I wanted to sit down. <laughs> I just wanted to sit on the side. Like, you know, it's like at an incline. I just wanted to lay on the side and just sit. And just like, oh, my gosh. Stretch my legs out. Do something. So I tried to take a knee. And then I kept switching to kind of stretch my leg out. Um, and, I, of course, I was like, you know, went over to Drea. Like, are you, are you good? And she was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I'm like, shit, I knew you were. I'm over here fucking dying. <laughs> <laughs> so then we had to stop because one needed an IV. So they start moving again. And I'm like, okay, we should almost be there by now. Of course we weren't. And again, I'm about to die again. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I should have, I should have, you know, took a longer break. I should have did this. And I'm just thinking all these things. And then the platoon started to get on the radio. And that's when I knew everybody else was still, even though I heard we had to stop for a medical reason. Um, I didn't know it was IV at the time. Mm -hmm. I just knew it was a medical reason. So I didn't know what it was because, you know, Ranger, they kind of move in a larger group. So I was further in the back. Um, so the platoon star guy on the radio and then he was just like, if we, and he can't even get it out, go up another, <sighs> God damn, <sighs> ridge line. I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> and I was like, okay, they're hurting too. Somebody's hurt. You know, it's not just me. Um, and then we stopped again because someone needed it. And that's the second time. Yeah. Someone needed an IV at that time. Okay. So I made it. Yeah. So 
the bottom line, I made it. And then uh, I remember, uh, sorry for the two, they were younger. Uh, new, I think it was their first deployment. Um, so they were getting reamed at the end. And they was like, these women made it. You guys fucking suck. And like talking all this trash to them. You should be ashamed of yourselves. But I'm pretty sure they were a lot heavier than I was. Yeah. Um, and then when we got back, the SEAL team was QRF. Okay. So they just knew that the two people that were medical emergencies was me and my partner, but it wasn't us. So they was actually like, oh, man, we just knew. We were taking bets. It's them. It's them. I was like, oh, man, that's so messed up. And I was like, it was this close to being me, but it, I made it. So, it wasn't you. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Like, it wasn't me. That's Definitely. a memorable mission for sure. Oh, yeah. It's not, yeah. <laughs> but you'll never forget I'll it. i never forget And anytime it. you go on a hike now, you'll be like. And you know, everything after that was so easy. Yeah. Anything really. uphill, I was like, oh, I, I've been worse. This is nothing. Yeah. You know, it kind of sucks. But yeah, no, I've, mm. I've sucked worse than that. This, this is this is easy. Yeah. Did that you, was one of them. Yeah. Did you love that deployment overall? Was that good for you? It was amazing for me. If, if, if I had it my way, I could have went home, you know, spend time with my daughter train and go back mm. if if I could do it again but I wanted to do that particular mission set I didn't want to do anything else and of course it was you know like a pilot program um no one else was doing that even I think they didn't even really know what to do with us at the time yeah. you know um because actually the seals since they moved smaller I was actually asked to pull security mm. Um, on a mission, it was a area that was unsecured and they said that, you know, it was the least likely avenue of approach, mm -hmm. but because, you know, they trusted me enough on the team that I was asked to pull security for a corner. Um, I carried ladders for them. You know, it was like for some of the call outs. Um, and yeah, I felt like a real part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask Yeah. You. Definitely felt a, a part of the team. Um, and you don't want to mess it up. It's like. I was I, I was starting asking questions about mission planning, like how do they plan their routes? We did um, we did training with them. Uh, we did all types of missions. So we did ground assault force, helo assault force, and uh, motorcycle assault force as well. It was it was amazing. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How much did that time as the CST and being on those uh, SEAL teams and then those Ranger, with the Ranger Regiment, how much did that prepare you for leadership, for real leadership? Did you learn a lot about leadership while you were over there with those guys? I did. Um, I think every everything or every opportunity is an opportunity to learn. Um, so I definitely learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about myself. Um, I learned, you know, just you, you have to, you have people from, different backgrounds you have to learn how to lead them you have to learn how to what motivates them uh when it sucks how to keep people going um i also learned you know how they handle themselves so i i watched how they handled themselves under pressure um when, when things got kinetic who was doing what were they out of control was someone yelling was someone you know uh angry screaming were they calm you know what what type of emotions did they display during those times and um, I would say, you know, overall, I was impressed. Yeah. And that made me think, you know, like, this is how you should conduct yourself in you know, bad situations. Um, you know, another mission that we went on with the SEAL team, um, it ended up, the sun ended up coming up, which was not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were don't to want do that, that to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, I don't know all the details about it. Uh, all I know is... 
it wasn't good that the sun was coming up and we could not get established at HOZ at that time. You know, it wasn't safe for us to get picked up. So I know they mentioned like, hey, we might have to stay here till nightfall again. And I was like, dang. And I'm over there thinking, how many Cliff Bars I got in my pocket? <laughs> <laughs> so I got like, a Cliff Bar in my pocket. I'm checking my water. It's like, dang, uh, I think we'll be fine. Um, but it was, they were more concerned than I was, you know, about everything. So I was just like, just wondering, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to sleep? How are we going to, you know, not be seen in the day when you know, just all those different thoughts. But at the end of the day, we did get, um, they did establish the HOZ. Uh, it was one of the most amazing things that I seen. Um, so one of the, I, I don't know what they call them. One of the like sniper teams went up to, to make sure it was secure for the rest of us to move. And once it was, we got, um, we walked a little bit, went like on the top, almost like a mountain area. And um, the JTAG, which is the Air Force, he was saying something was two minutes out. And I was like, what's two minutes out? And it was like F-15s. And I was like, F-15? Like Air Force F-15? <laughs> <laughs> like, two minutes out? I'm like, okay. So, and then they, they told us like, you know, one minute, getting a, giving a countdown. And um, I, I heard them in the distance and everybody took a knee. And... I was looking around and I saw these F-15s coming in and I, they were so low that I felt if I stood up, I could touch it. It was so low <laughs> and they came in roaring and then they shot off these flares and it was just like the most amazing thing. And then these Apaches came and it was like a show of force. So these Apaches came and they shot off into the side of the, you know, like the side of the mountain, all of these, I don't know if they were goats or, you know, people were like running cause you could see like the village area. And um, they were like running and all that. And I tried to pick up one of the, I think it's a 30 mic mic and it like burnt my glove. I was like, not thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, oh man, it's just, so the Apache pilot was so close to us. I I could see his full mustache. It was, it was like amazing. And then the Chinook came in. I believe it it was 160 if they came in, did some crazy hover thing and, we all went and got in the back of it. And I remember I slipped and I hurt my knee trying to get in the back of the ramp and everybody was just kind of pulling each other up. And then we took off. And that was like, it was crazy because it was like a movie. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was talking to, uh, I think it was our, our JTAC. And I was like, that was cool as fuck. And I know it was, it was, <laughs> it was dangerous. You know, like yeah. it could have definitely went a whole different direction, but it, it was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What do you love about an event like this? Obviously, all you ladies coming together. There's a lot of men here mm-hmm. in support, too, yeah, um, yeah. including your husband. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you got some incredible human beings here. Why is yeah. an event like the event that All True is hosting so important here in D.C.? Because, one, um, it's an opportunity to bring us back together, and it's inspiring. It's definitely inspiring for me. Um, just being around just the amount of incredible women that, you know, from CST2 through I don't even know how many numbers <laughs> that it is now, but um, there's a lot of them. Yes, it's a lot now. But the, I heard something close to twenty. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. So you know, the last ones that deployed in 2019, they're so young, um, and their experiences were were a lot different than ours. Um, but all important, you know, like I never got the opportunity to work with FTPs, so just seeing them here is all amazing, and you know, having that young sergeant that was inspired by Ashley's War, you know, the book, Ashley's War, and just to see 
it's so much more to the military, so much more to women. We contribute so much more to, you know, our country, to the overall mission. Um, we have so much to bring to the table. And just to keep that going and, and inspiring the next generation is very important. Are you ready to be in a place where they don't talk about it in terms of men and women? And they just talk about it overall? Like, you're doing incredible things for the community, but it's because of the, based on the individual soul, you know, responsibility and everything you've done. And not so much about the gender of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, and, and that's the thing. I know is we can say it's, it's easy to say, you know, not talk specifically about male, female, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's society. Society right. see, you know, women and men separate. Um, you're, you did well for a woman. You're strong for a woman. You're <laughs> this for a woman. Uh, you know, all those things. And until that changes, which I don't know if that ever will, I think that, you know, like we wouldn't see, we, we wouldn't see that in the military. However, leaders know that we look at people as individuals, not based on their gender. So you are, you're contributing to this team. You're contributing to this mission because of who you are as a person, not because you're a male and, you know, or female, whatever it is, it's who you are, what you care about, um, your abilities, your courage, you know, um, your patriotism, all of those things is what contributes to that individual and them accomplishing a mission, not a gender. How important is it for the history to be brought up and for us to talk about these kinds of things? And, you know, being a CST and all that you've accomplished as a human being, mm-hmm. as a service member to this great country, how, how important is it to ensure that this history is captured? It's extremely important. It should never be forgotten. Um, we need to we need to capture because a lot of people don't know about the program. Um, when I did the program, went back to my my unit. No one really knew what it was. Like, what's the CST? And there's so many other acronyms for CSTs, you know. So no one really knew exactly what it was. And I have to explain it. And they're like, "Oh, a FET." And I was like, "Well, well a, little, a little more than a FET, you know." Cooler, like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was a, we we had to we were assessed and selected. Um, not saying the FETs didn't contribute because they all did. You know, every every person, every woman that was a part, you know, especially all male teams. You being a part of that, your performance, all, you know, it's, it affects us all. It all matters. Yeah, yeah, it all matters. So, um, it's very important that we continue to talk about this. It's very important to show that how important women are, um, in fighting Mm -hmm. in our armed forces. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years later, you joined 20 years ago, right? I did. So you looking back and now being in this incredible space. Yeah. Seeing all, you know, I heard uh, Shannon's friend talking about her last night. And I thought, yeah, wow, yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah she, 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 yeah, she spoke very well. She mm-hmm. obviously loved her friend. Definitely. Seeing some of your friends here mm-hmm. now, how powerful is it looking back, you know, what, nine, uh, 10, 11 years now since CSTs yeah. were stood up? Yeah. How powerful is it to look back and to see all these accomplished, incredible woman, women and to look at them now and see where they're at? It is very, it's amazing because um, most of the women that stayed, you know, they're majors now. And when I met them, they were second lieutenants, mm-hmm. <laughs> second lieutenants, green, you know, like wet behind ears, whatever you want to call it. Didn't know much about the army, but they all, they all wanted to be a part of something bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, they all had this this 
sense of duty, you know, that we all share and just seeing the growth and, you know, they, they have families, married, you know, um, accomplishing amazing things in their career. Some still serving, some, you know, no longer serving, but it's just the, it's just amazing to be a part, you know, a member of CST, of a CST and CST2. Just, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and, you know, and they call us now the OGs, so I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, but I think it's cool because we're called the OGs. And, um, yeah, just being there from the beginning and watching how the program progressed um, and, you know, what it, what it became. And, obviously, we wish it could have continue to to go on a little longer um but it was definitely something that i am proud of and proud to be a part of i'm sure it'll come back yeah 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 if you look at your career now looking back and joining could you have ever imagined it going this way no because if when i imagined i thought i was gonna do two years and get out (laughs) (laughs) jokes on you united states army wins i know they did but i'm so proud and happy and you know lucky mm-hmm. to to have served for 20 years i mean the people that i've met is this amazing group of people and that was the reason why i stayed yeah the people yep. are you working on a degree any plans on any future degree plans as far as wanting um, to do that well i have a mba now um oh, wow exciting yeah so right now um actually i'm looking at entering the political arena nice and um, looking at a degree in public policy so maybe a second master's in public policy that's awesome um, i yeah. think we talked about that a little bit earlier with michael rodriguez yeah we did. the yep. head of the global yep. war on terror memorial foundation yeah. good friend of mine guy who's been covered by this very project yeah he yeah. made the mistake by <laughs> getting to know me <laughs> yeah, no, <right>. yeah. <laughs> no michael's amazing rod's amazing and yeah. uh you know one of the greatest gifts i've ever gotten he woke me up one morning while i was covering him for the project and he uh, was hanging this cross over me and i was like what's that man he's like i just wanted to give you a gift and i was like oh thanks man he's like uh yeah this is uh north tower and he had hammered that into a cross for me his piece of metal from george bush george yeah. w bush and he yeah. gave me this cross it was just, he's one of the most heartfelt empathetic human beings you'll ever meet and you can yeah. see he cares i mean he immediately yeah. wanted to get you involved as soon as he heard about political arena he's like yeah, yeah he let's did. get you involved you yeah know? yeah i appreciate that so yeah. he's got tremendous connections um to the boss himself even you know so yeah. you have you had a relation good relationship with uh, a member of cst team too uh, Ashley White Stump, and I, I wanted you to talk about her because this is obviously all about legacy. This is what we do, and we also do the Caregiver Project where we honor the families of the fallen. We tell the stories of their families, which is immeasurably harder than this is. Those yeah. conversations are terrible. I mean, I've you know had gold star you know moms screaming at me, you know, like, why'd you take my baby away, and you know things like that. Yeah, that's tough. What was that loss like for you? Can you talk a little bit about her and what she was like? Yeah. So um, I didn't know Ashley that well. Um, so when we did selection, uh, we were just talking about it today, actually. Um, so they had CST selection for 
the reserves and National Guard, and then they had the active duty selection. So when Ashley went through, she went through the selection with the reserves and National Guard. So I didn't meet her until we were doing um, our training in, in Fort Bragg, our six-week training there prior to going um, out on our missions. Um, and then even then, uh, initially, our, our interaction was very kind of limited because the classrooms were like split up. Um, but she was one of uh, the 19 selected to uh, go on direct action missions. Um, so we all got to know each other while we was doing our PMT at uh, Aberdeen Training Facility. So we got to know her pretty well. And I remember she just was so to me, quiet. I didn't have that close relationship with her. So she was just so nice and sweet and quiet. And I remember when they <laughs> read all the names of those who were going to do direct action missions and they said her name, I was like, what? <laughs> like, she want to do that? <laughs> and I was actually, because, you know, I didn't know everybody well. But again, we all sizing each other up. Who's, right. who's aggressive? Who's, you know, a shit talker? Who's, you who's know. going to be a killer? Like, yeah. And, yeah. And she was just so sweet that I would never think that she would do you know, that mission. Um, so I remember we, we had to climb a rope and I was not the best rope climber. Um, I can climb a rope, but I, I was not that good. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing her go up and climb that rope. Like it was easy and no shit. I never told anybody this. I watched how she, her, her technique mm -hmm. and her feet because we, and you know, like I was regular army and we would do, I forget what they call it. Like the Russian twist or leg, like you wrap your leg around the rope. And I remember she did this funky thing with her feet. It was at the time, it was like a, a J hook is what they call it now. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what it was called then, but I watched how she, you know, hooked her feet and just kind of went up the rope so easy and effortlessly. And I was like, damn. So when I went, I was kind of like, my heart was beating. Um, like pretty fast because I was thinking I'm gonna look like shit compared <laughs> to all these women who are climbing these ropes and actually went up without struggling at all just from watching her technique and then just all the training I was sore and I was asking her um you know like she was uh a, a medic mm -hmm. so I was asking her like how you know how do you stretch how do you stretch this how do you stretch that and she was just kind of helping me out and I was like man she's just so cool and so you know just so sweet so um fast forward while we're in Afghanistan, I end up going to um, Kandahar because my unit was there. My regular army unit was there. And uh, we had a little bit of downtime. Um, they were ripped. It was, um, I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but I was able to go to, to Kandahar. And I went to visit uh, her partner, Liz, uh, where they were. And she wasn't there. And I was like, oh, well, I'll see her when I come back. And because of my timeline, I never got to see her coming back. And uh, one of the things that we did as a uh, part of the SEAL team training was they, sh they taught us how to fast rope. Well, there were a few people who got injured fast roping. So the uh, ranger, Sergeant Major, said that CSTs were not allowed to fast rope. Um, however, <laughs> Team JVAD <laughs> uh, was not only, you know, we not only went on missions with the rangers, we also went on missions with the SEALs. And the SEALs taught us how to fast rope we literally they had a rope on their compound so we would go up the rope we go up this ladder um i forget what it's called but it's like that flimsy ladder that they hang out of helicopters and stuff i can't remember what it's called but we would go up and he shot, showed us how to go up the ladder come back down uh go up the ladder and then, then fast rope down and then we actually did it um on 
you know, live with helicopters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did all this training. So we go out on mission and we couldn't land and we had to fast rope in. Mm. So me and Drea was kind of like our eyes got big because we knew that we were told we were not allowed to fast rope. However, mm-hmm. we were with the SEALs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of just looked at each other. We was like, let's do it. Like, I'm not staying on this aircraft. And we fast roped. So I could say that we actually fast roped into combat. Nice. Um, with the team. That's and cool. that was like one of the coolest things. So we get back and uh, Laura calls us. She was our OIC. And she called. They tell us we had a phone call in the job. So I'm like, oh, man. And I was like, Dre, did you tell? <laughs> did you I'm tell in trouble. Fast rope, you know. Um, and she was like, No, I didn't say anything. She's like, Man, somebody must have told why Laura calling us. And we thinking completely different. And when she called, when we answered the phone, Laura tells us that that's when um, Laura tells us that Ashley was killed. And I remember we just, like, our mouths just dropped. And we were like, I'm like, I'm over here thinking selfishly about fast roping. And she just lost her life, you know? So I didn't, it was, I think at that moment, that's when the deployment, everything got real to me. Cause it was, she was just so sweet, just a great person. And, for her to, you know, like, for her to die out of all, and not saying anybody is, you know, life is worth more, but it's just that thought for someone who just so just young and, and genuine, you know. um, Yeah, and, and that's when it was like, I started thinking like every mission I've had, is this my last? Is this my last? Because we don't know. Um, I'm sure she didn't go out thinking that she would step on an IED. You know, so um, it was it was tough. And I th- that her death bonded our team closer together. Mm. It definitely did. Because, cause, you know, ever since then, our reunions, um, her parents, they're the sweetest people. Um, we Last year, we went to their house in Ohio um, to honor her. And they hosted us there. It was, we went to her gravesite. Um, the whites are amazing people and it's no wonder that she was so sweet because she came from, you know, good stock. Like mm-hmm. they, they're, they're good folks. Yeah. Um, so that was something that, that changed my life, my perspective on everything. Yeah. Yeah. How proud are you that you got to serve with her and knew her? Oh, I'm extremely proud. I'm extremely proud. And you know, her sacrifice is what got eyes on the program, Mm -hmm. you know, from my perspective. Um, Because, you know, some, some people didn't think, I don't know, I don't know. Or maybe I didn't think it was that, you know, didn't take it as serious. Uh, We were just doing something that women weren't allowed to do. And now we were doing it. So it's like, yeah, we're doing it. You know, we're doing these things, but the reality of it, it was extremely dangerous, you know, and, and we didn't, I know I didn't think about, my life or losing my life at any point leading up to that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank so. you so much for sharing. And, uh, I'm yeah. sure whoever hears that will be very proud to have heard about Ashley's life. Yeah. 
this is a very unique event brought to you by All True. Uh, our friends at Cadre bought us, brought us out here. Today we've got Major Annie Kleiman out here. Annie, it's an honor to have you. Thanks for sitting down on the podcast. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to this a lot. This is a very special event. What, what do you think is most special about this event to you, and what were you most looking forward to, and have you seen that since you've been here? Yeah, so we've had many, reu- not many, but we've had a couple of reunions of, of CST members before, but this is the first time we've really had the FTPs be able to join us as well. Um, and the FTPs are? They are the the Afghan female tactical platoon members. Um these were women that several of us had trained back in Afghanistan and have since been able to uh, leave Afghanistan after the fall of Kabul. Um, so many of us have personally worked with them, have worked alongside them, and so it's really exciting to get to see them here. We saw one of yours today that you trained. Yes, we did. She is brave. She's a badass. <laughs> she never wore her headscarf overseas. Nope. The one time in my life that I ever saw her in a headscarf was... When she was on the bus headed to the airport to get on the flight that took her out of Kabul. Um, and I, the next picture that I got was of her and her children smiling faces after the plane landed. And the headscarf was nowhere in sight. And that's probably something you will never see on her again. Right. <laughs> Maybe like a Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so awesome. So take me back through your career a little bit. What made you want to join the United States Army? You probably didn't see the CST track because it didn't exist. What made you want to join the Army? And how'd you grow up? So I'm actually in the Air Force. I'm one of very few. Really? Yes. <laughs> there is I'm a... so confused now, <laughs> which there... is not that strange, but I am confused. Yeah. There are a couple of Air Force, um, maybe even one or two Navy CST members within the program. At the time that I was going through assessment and selection, they had opened it up to AFSOC, Air Force Special Operations Command personnel, reserve guard or active duty. And I think it was really the one time that they actually opened it up kind of on a broad basis to anybody assigned to AFSOC that wanted to participate. As we were finishing up our training, we got word that they had shut that down. I, I'd like to think that it wasn't because of us. I'd like to think it was because of the people. You scared them involved. off. Yes, exactly. It was all our fault. We ruined it for everybody else. Um, I think it just got a little bit too complicated trying to deal with the, you know, the paperwork and the bureaucracy with the inter- with inner service. Um, so yes, a handful of us are Air Force and in the CSU program. That is so awesome. Um, you know, my dad was Air Force, so I have a special place in my heart for the Air Force. It's what brought me to San Antonio, so I'm Very glad cool. for the Air Force. You talk to me about what CST is, because you know we have a lot of civilian listeners. They're going to want to know. Uh, we had a CST as a part of the project years ago. Of Miley Cardenas, uh, who's an awesome human being. You. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? So the CST program was started in response to the need to be able to talk to women uh, in Afghanistan during missions. And, you know, there are these very, you know, highly kinetic elite special operations teams that realized that they were not getting information from half of the population, right? Women can... Um, hide bad stuff they can hide weapons they can hide derogatory information they know things they know what's going on in the village um and they weren't able to access the population at all right it, it, you can't really have a, a 
you know, big tall dude, fully kitted out, walking around the house at two in the morning, trying to then like talk to a woman and, and you know calm her down and trying to get useful information. So, um, CSTs were sort of the result, the the solution to that problem. Um, at the time that the program was started, the ground combat ban was still in effect, so we were not officially assigned to any of the units. We were attached. Um, when we, and I think most of us, when we started with a program, we really did not understand what it was that we were actually going to be doing. The way they kind of talked about it is, oh, well, you're going to be with the platoon leader. You're going to be with the leadership element. You're not going to be, you know, out front, um, with the, the door kickers. And so we had sort of, what we had, I think in our head was, you know, the main mission would kind of happen and then they would like bring us in after everything was secure, quote unquote, which having been on those missions, that seems just absolutely ridiculous, right? You're not going to like fly out a bunch of women on a helicopter halfway through the mission. Um, But that was how it was kind of talked about. And I think it really was, it wasn't until we were starting to figure out whether we were going to the VSO, the village stability operations side or the direct action side, when a bunch of rangers came in and basically tried to convince us to pick their, the direct action side, they started showing us pictures and, you know, a cool video that they had put together uh, that we realized that like, oh, we're actually going out on missions. We're riding in the same helicopters. We're walking the same routes. We are right, right next to the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so basically it was a means of embedding, uh, you know, women service members with these special operations teams to then give them the capability to interact with the women and children on target. Did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy your first deployment out with the teams? Because all of a sudden you got from like Air Force background, you've got the latte in your hand. You're sitting in the chair. We know how the Air Force does it. You got the computer in front of you. This isn't a MacBook. (laughs) I have to use Microsoft. Uh, What was it like going from that environment to all of a sudden direct action, right? You're with the guys. (laughs) Yeah, so my first mission was a shit show. Uh, They tried to prepare us you know we, we we had the rucks we did the ruck marches they were forcing us to go you know pretty quick we we're kind of walking through the hills of of you know north carolina um but i remember my very first mission i i didn't eat dinner because i was you know really nervous which was a mistake um i didn't pack any snacks which was a mistake i didn't carry enough water um i think like every single thing that i could have done wrong i did wrong uh I my nods were fogging over so I literally could not see anything and we were walking through you know a farmer's field so there was ditches every couple of feet and I would literally would just fall into a ditch um, like pick myself back up and I could see other members of the strike force like walking past me as I was falling and at one point I remember thinking like I am going to be left in the middle of Afghanistan on my first mission I'm going to die and somebody, I, I have no idea who it was to this day, he walks by me and he's like, what is going on with you? And I was like, I can't see anything. You know, my my goggles are are fogging up. And he goes, take off your safety glasses. Because I'd been wearing, right, like the sort of the eye protector under the nods. And I was like, what? I thought, I thought we were supposed to keep those on for our safety. And he goes, nobody wears those except for getting on and off the helicopter. Take them off. And lo and behold, no more fogging. And uh Everything was fine after that. <laughs> Your problems were fixed. <laughs> how did how did the rest of that mission end up going? Uh, it was it was actually still a pretty big shit show. Um, we ended up with I think the largest group of women and children I saw in my entire deployment. There was probably 
30 to 40 of them. Um, we happened to just have C- three CSTs on the mission, which was not normal. It's usually one. Um, but we were doing changeover. So we were just, as soon as we got on target, we were, you know, searching the women, trying to talk to them. Um, we were in this weird compound. So once in a while, goats would run through the compound as we were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty crazy mission. <laughs> they got better after that. Good, good. Talk about one of the biggest differences you felt you made as a CST, like being over there. You had to have seen some pretty incredible things, including training FTPs. What was the biggest difference maker for you over there where you really felt like you had a huge, hugely profound effect on the mission? So, I I mean, I really think it, I mean, it took 10, 11 years to come full circle. And I really think it's what we did with the FTPs. Um at the time, <laughs> the training mission wasn't one that was highly sought after. We all wanted to be going out on missions with the guys. We didn't want to be stuck doing a training mission. You know, we didn't really understand the FTP program. We weren't really sure, you know, if it was something that's going to it was go- that was going to succeed. Right? It, there was so much controversy just with U.S. female service members in ground combat and on soft teams that then you're trying to put Afghan women trying to do the same jobs, and it just seemed kind of crazy. Um, but I ended up, I did the training mission for about three months because I was one of the more senior captains and they were kind of just rotating through captains, um, to, you know, give everybody a a chance to do the, the going out on the direct action missions and then, you know, still cover down on the training mission. And I remember at the time, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting getting to work with these women. I learned a lot about kind of cross-cultural interactions and all of that stuff, Um, And then it just sort of sat in the back of my head for several years until last year when, you know, we were hearing the gains that the Taliban were making. It seemed like things were going to go downhill very quickly. And, you know, we kind of talked about this ever since we had first trained these women. We had said, like, listen, when the U.S. pulls out, they're going to be in a world of hurt, right? Like they're going to be in pain from the Taliban going after them, like there's neighbors that think that they're prostitutes because they leave early in the morning and they come home late at night. And, you know, they've got a target on their back from all angles. And so being able to pull together with a bunch of CSTs, you know, some who I still only know from a screen name on Signal, um, and just start working these issues and, and getting these FTPs out. I mean, when we first started, I think we had about 20 FTPs that were on our list that we were trying to get out. And I remember the initial conversations were like, hey, I don't think this is going to happen. You know, there's no there's no sort of good legal pathway for them to get out. They're not eligible for the special immigrant visa. Like I we should try, but it doesn't look like it's really going to happen. And going from there to getting our first batch out, our second batch mostly out. And now we've got a third batch. There are 27 FTP still left in Afghanistan. But, you know, we've managed to get over 40 of them and 90 plus family members out and it, you know, we were we were successful beyond our wildest dreams initially. Um, and that's something I try to keep in mind, you know, even as we're still working with the 27 left in country that to that, you know, even though it's it's hard to to, to feel like we left them behind, um, but that we did get, you know, over over 40 of them out and they're here in the U.S., most of them. Um, you know, they've got families, they've got children, they're building this whole new lives for themselves. And that's, that's really awesome for me to see. That's got to be hugely fulfilling. Yeah, it's, um, it's great to actually see them and like give them big hugs. 
uh, when I, we were first working this back in August last year, I kept saying like, I need to actually hug an FTP because I don't believe this is all real. Like some some fat guy in a basement is just typing signal messages to me. And, you know, this is all like one giant simulation, but like actually to see them here and to see, you know, to say like, hey, last time I saw you, it was 10 years ago and I was making you do pushups and you were in a kit and now you're here, you know, in America starting your new lives. Like, that's really exciting. Yeah. What are some of the, do you feel that everyone that's still over there, the 27, that they're, that they're safe mostly? Do you hear some of the stories from over there? And is that rough to hear about? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think they're safe. You know, the, the hard reality is that I think um, most of them are in hiding. Um, they're not working because they're women, you know, women aren't able to work. They're, they're, most of them are in, you know, fearing for their lives, trying to hide from the Taliban. Some of them have moved from multiple locations. Many of them, locations, many of them have had, uh, you know, their family members' homes get searched and sort of ruined by the Taliban who are looking right for them. Um, and on top of that, there's just severe economic deprivation, right? Like, not just, from uh yeah not not just in right the country in general um is is basically starving um and then on top of that like they can't work if they're married their husbands probably can't work because their husband is likely also an afghan military member so there's just it yeah there's they're not they're not doing too well um in afghanistan yeah but you have to feel pretty awesome about the 13 that have come home that's got to be incredible so as you move forward, you know, in your career, what what did you enjoy? What have you enjoyed most about your career as a CST? And, you know, now that you're a major, you're making some big decisions. Did you enjoy it more when you were lower ranking when you first came into the position? Because most people I hear about, once they reach a certain rank, they're like, dude, I just miss being on the ground with the guys. <laughs> like, that was the coolest part of what I did. Do you miss that? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, my CSD deployment was the highlight of my military career. That's pretty hard to top. Um, seeing the FTPs come over here, that's pretty awesome, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I do miss it. I miss just sort of having that that sense of purpose. Like, it was very it was very clear to know what my job was, to know what my mission was, and to know if I did a good job, right? Like, if I... Uh, kept up with the guys on infill and I searched all the women and children and if I found something cool or if I, you know, learned a cool piece of intel, then like that was a really good mission. Those are really easy, you know, clear markers to hit. Whereas now, you know, things are a little bit fuzzier, but I do think that at some point you have to make that decision. Do you want to keep doing the fun tactical stuff for personal enjoyment or do you want to be in a position where you can really affect things, right? Because the, 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 the things that really change people's lives i think are at the the policy level unfortunately and that's the boring uh desk job right the political part of it (laughs) (laughs) were you were you most fearful on that first mission was that probably when you were the most nervous about how it would go like i don't know what my future is gonna look like on one of these teams what are we doing out here what's going on i can't see past my goggles (laughs) yeah i mean that first team i think that first mission was when i had the most doubt about whether i could personally hack it um you know i thought i was prepared i thought i was ready to go and it just just everything about that first mission was was pretty terrible i think my 
interpreter who is he's an afghan american um so you know we didn't have to evacuate him thank goodness he was already in the u.s but he he offered me a juice box because it looked like i was just doing so badly i was like wait why are you taking care of me i'm supposed to be taking care of you like they told me to take care of my terp um so i think that first mission was when i felt just it was that gut check of like i don't i don't know if i can really hack this like it's i i gotta do like nine more months of this um there was one other mission where we were we we were done with the mission we were waiting for exfil the helicopter was coming in to pick us up uh and it had a hard landing and basically toppled over and uh caught on fire um so that was that's scary that that was a little scary i thought my platoon leader had died because he was ahead of me running towards the helicopter um so that was you know nerve-wracking in terms of just i literally i physically don't know what's going to happen for the next several hours um but yeah i think those two those would be my top two yeah yeah but what did you why did you move past so are you in that kind of role now or what are you doing now exactly in in the air force and what's your role now so i am a reservist in the air force i am attached to or i'm assigned to the defense intelligence agency uh as a reserve air attache um, so in that role, it's my job is to basically be a be a bench warmer for the active duty attache. So if if an embassy overseas has, is sort of low on manning, they tend to send out a reservist to try to plug the gap for a couple of months. Okay, I noticed your uh, Pat Tillman scholarship. I read up on people. <laughs> you, you Google stalked me. I Google stalked you. I did. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that meant to you? And, you know, you talked about a dream of NASA, right? Going into space. Is that still a possibility? Are you still thinking about <laughs> that? Do you one day want to step on the moon? What, what's your, what are your goals, uh, for that? And I saw, I also noticed the FBI, you know, wanting to get into the FBI. So, you know, we're working into that. What, what about those two things are you looking towards? Uh, I mean, you know. I would I would love to be able to go into space someday, but I <laughs> that is getting you know less and less realistic uh, as I get older. Um, I mean, I, I had obviously had a lot of different career goals, and I think one of the one of the things that I have enjoyed about my career is I've sort of let go of any big long term plans and am just kind of doing the next thing that seems interesting. Um, which is kind of like the exact opposite of like all of the career advice that they give to the the brand new second lieutenants commissioning. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, wanted to go into space, wanted to be an astronaut when I was younger. We incidentally have a Tillman scholar who actually is an astronaut. Mm. Um, he's he is that Johnny Johnny yeah. Kim, yes. right? Yes, yes, I've seen that. That's My awesome. claim to fame is I had brunch with him before he was oh, an astronaut. Okay, so cool. he was only a Navy SEAL and a Harvard trained doctor. He was not an astronaut yet. Boring. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I actually I had a, gone through the application process for the FBI. Um, and then didn't quite make it to the uh, the very final stage, um, but close. I was pretty close. There are some there there are some. I have some thoughts on how and how the uh, the national security community does sort of their their vetting and background checks. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's a uh, it's a whole other thing. We can get into it if you really want to. But yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm so currently uh, for my civilian job, I work at Rand. Okay. Uh, which is sort of a, a big kind of research think tank organization. It's been around for about 75 years. And what I like about RAND is that it's it's 
it's kind of the the place that a lot of government agencies turn to when they have really big problems that they either don't have the time or the expertise to try to solve. So, you know, trying to answer big, um, you know, policy questions or, or researching things that are hard to research, um, Rand gets to do a lot of that work. So I feel like I still get to help um, influence policy, but also get to do some like pretty nerdy research stuff. That's cool. What about that growing up made you want to pursue that path? And certainly you weren't thinking, hey, you know, I want to be on the ground with some green berets. <laughs> really my goal in life <laughs> is that. That's what I want to do. And then now you're in research and development. <laughs> uh, whoa, you're taking some interesting tracks in yeah. life, aren't you? Yes. What What was it growing up that made you want to go that way? Did your parents have some influence on that? or? I, You know, my parents were... were pretty good about kind of letting me pick my own path. Um, I ended up in the Air Force because I was very involved in Civil Air Patrol when I was younger. So, you know, for your your listeners who don't know what that is, imagine um, the Boy Scouts, but with Air Force uniforms. Mm-hmm. That's, that's basically what that is. I was very involved in that. So kind of uh, went, saw the Air Force as, as the natural next step. Um, you know, joined the Air Force, thought I was, well, thought I was going to major in astrophysics in college. Uh, turns out I do not like spending six hours on a single problem set. So did majored in engineering instead, and then have not used a drop of that in the Air Force. I became an intelligence officer. Um, you know, as far as doing CST specifically, I have always just sort of been fascinated with special operations. I think a lot of people are. Um, you know, I got (laughs) really big into CrossFit a couple of years before that. I was also teaching a class called Intercultural Competence for Special Operations Forces at the Air Force Special Operations School. And it seemed like this sort of perfect mixture of, you know, it's a cultural support team, right? So you're doing culture stuff. Um, You have to keep up with the guys on info. So you got to be in really good shape. And I remember when the announcement first came out, I think like two or three of the people that I worked with at the schoolhouse all independently emailed it to me and said like hey you should do this like you do lots of crossfit you do lots of culture stuff like this seems like right up your alley um so yeah that's how i kind of got into the whole cst thing that's awesome how, and how tough was you know learning the language and learning the culture as you were getting into it because obviously that you know those languages are not easy so many different dialects right was that tough for you so as cst's we we maybe got a couple of hours of language training. We weren't really expected to be, you know, have any level of proficiency. Well, you still had a terp. Yes, we definitely, we had, I had my, my terp next to me, um, which was kind of funny because he was from Kanahar. So we had this accent and we were working in Wardak and Logar province. So that was like a whole other thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew about 10 seconds of Pashto, very initial. Hey, I'm an American woman. I'm trying to keep you safe. I need you to do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was about it on the culture side. And what was interesting is there's, it's not just one different type of culture, right? Like it's not just the Afghan culture. It was the uh, the special operations culture, right? It was the ranger culture. So we kind of joked like we were, we needed to learn culture, like f- to work um, with our own team. And then we needed to like learn the culture to be able to work on target in Afghanistan and Sometimes it was easier being on target in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, you know, of course, we asked one of the stereotypical questions, which is, as as a woman, <laughs> right, stepping into uh, 
a male league, right? Because it's a lot of dudes. Mm-hmm. A lot of big, hairy, bearded dudes. And now all of a sudden you're on a team with this. How do you feel the acceptance rate was uh, as far as guys taking you in and under their wing and prepared to help however they could? So I was personally very lucky and... I think so I was in CST three. So we were the so that was the third rotation, but the second rotation that was all volunteer. And, you know, our rotation owes a huge debt of gratitude to CST two. They were really the ones that paved the way for us. They were the ones that, you know, by the time we got to the teams, the guys were saying, oh, yeah, I've worked with the CST. She did good. I trust you. You know, it's yours to mess up. I'm going to put you on. I'm going to take you on mission. I'm going to put you on the helicopter. As long as you do what she did, like you're going to do great. So, you know, CSD two really paved the way for us. That was great. the The leadership that um, with the Ranger platoons that I was embedded with, they were, you know, they were fantastic. Um, I was there as a as a captain, so I outranked the platoon leader. <laughs> I outranked, you know, the platoon sergeant. But there was, you know, there was never really any issues. I was there, you know, as a member of the team. I was a CSD. I was taking direction from the platoon sergeant, from the squad leader, from you know whoever knew better than, you know, who knew what was going on and needed to, you know, get me wherever I needed to be. Um, I had, you know, outstanding first sergeants, just every, all the local leadership where I was at was, was very supportive. Um, they did try to put me in the dog suit and have the, you know, dog chase after me and like bite me. And I politely declined <laughs> that particular <laughs> offer. I didn't need to be one of the guys that much. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Hey guys, there's a little bit of a difference yeah. here. I'm good with the not wearing yeah. the dog suit. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, talk about a little bit about your future goals and kind of what you're stepping into. Now you got kids. Mm-hmm. Obviously they're always present on your mind. Has your service become even more imperative now that you see your children? Um, and you know, obviously that's a big part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, on the, on the one hand, you know, I want to be a really good example for them. I want to do all of the really hard things still and, and have my daughter see that, um, you know, and then on the other hand, there's a sort of pull to spend a lot of time at home and just kind of hang out with them. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely, yeah, that definitely brings in, you know, an, an added dimension, um, I don't know how willing I would have been to to do a CST deployment, you know, if I'd had kids. We had plenty of CSTs who had kids and left them behind to do the deployment. Um, and, I, you know, that's so strong of them. And, and I have a, a lot of respect for that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Can we just... <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, that's fine. That's a perfect answer. Uh, what do you think it is about events like this, bringing all the women together? But mm-hmm. there's a lot of men here, too. Yeah. Honoring the memory of the 13, honoring the memory of, you know, Shannon Kent. And what what is it about this type of event that's so special uh, in bringing all you ladies together and recognizing the tremendous contributions of CSTs uh, to our military? So I think one of the great things is just in events like this, um, everybody kind of just speaks the same language, right? Like there's not the sort of like, oh, I was a CST, it was this program, and I kind of run through the, this basic like elevator pitch that I kind of, you know, that we all sort of have down. Um, you sort of, even if we've, you know, never met each other, even if we like don't know each other's names, you kind of have this basic starting point of like we were we were all CSTs or we were FTPs. Um, or we at least all know what the, that program is about and you can just have much more substantial conversations than 
these sort of like very kind of initial superficial conversations. And I think it's, I think for a lot of CSTs, we still sort of have this cognitive dissonance where like, yeah, we embedded with, you know, rangers and seals and, and green berets. And yet I would, I would say a, a good portion of CSTs would still hesitate to stand up and say like, yeah, I'm a combat veteran mm, like that, yeah. you know, and, and sort of kind of hearing that from other people and that having that validation of like, yes, I, I served in combat, you know, my service is just as legitimate as a ranger, a seal, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's great for, I remember I was, I was talking to, uh, a women peace and security class at Georgetown and saying like, yeah, like, I don't know if I'm a combat veteran, like that's weird. Sort of my, my big nightmare would be for me to like say that. And then, you know, some, some ranger to be like, I was on that team. Like what you did wasn't comp, you know, and, <laughs> and have that and have that called out. And I remember one, uh, one woman in the class raised her hand and she goes, you were on a mission where there was a flaming helicopter, and you're telling me you're not sure if you were in combat. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have been to combat. <laughs> well, that's tremendous. Uh, what does legacy mean to you? What, what do you pe- want people to remember about being a CST and your mission? I want to talk about legacy. What does legacy mean to you? And why is it so important for the CSTs? Because obviously not everyone knows what you do, but you're... Uh, contribution to the wars is significant and without you there would be a lot of information not found out probably a lot more deaths on our side and i think we have to you to thank for that as a guy who served in a grunt unit i know what it's like uh we didn't have that you know it didn't exist it's like hey go i don't know beat them up or whatever and then hopefully they'll give you the right information it might not work but whatever uh so what's that like for you legacy of what you do and what you've done yeah, so I think there's kind of three ways to think about legacy. I think one, like you said. So talking about legacy, what was the importance of legacy to you? And what does it mean for as a CST, as a former CST, someone that's done it at such a high level, stepping into a ranger team uh, with the big bad bearded dudes, you're over there and you're doing a badass job yourself. What does the legacy of that mean? And, you know, events like this are obviously important. They recognize that legacy. That's why it's so cool for us to be here because history, you know, history is a really cool thing. And learning about the history of the CSTs has been incredible. But what does legacy mean to you? So I think there's sort of the the legacy of how it affects individual lives. And then also sort of a larger legacy of how, you know, what sort of institutional impact that we had. So I think on the, hand, on the one hand, like you mentioned, you know, hopefully what we did helped save some lives. And, you know, that's, that's obviously something that you can't really measure or you can't go back, right, and, and have some sort of counterfactual to know. But hopefully... You know, we were able to, to to contribute with that, and you know, some guys were able to come home uh, when, like, maybe they would have gotten injured or something. You know, if we hadn't been there, so I think that that part is kind of neat to to think about the sort of like what if conjectures. Um, I think on sort of an institutional level, the just the the success of the CSTs, right, the cumulative cumulative success of all of these of hundreds of women going through this program. I think that helped push forward the repeal of the the ground combat ban. Um, I would love, you know, for our legacy to sort of be similar to what the wax and the waves, you know, did and the wasps did, you know, for women in the military. Right. I would not love- recognized enough, by the way. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> yes, contributions. They're, they're amazing. Um, but, but I would love it if, you know, a few decades from now, uh, CSTs are the sort of 
um, funny anachronism, just like wasps and waves and wax are, right? Like, oh my gosh, like they used to teach you how to put on makeup, you know, as a female Marine. That's crazy, right? Um, because and and the reason I say that I would love for CSTs to kind of be regarded that way too is I would love it for it to just be normal for females just to be part of the soft community, mm-hmm. right? It would that the reaction of a woman going through ranger school is not holy crap, a woman is going through ranger school. It's holy crap, why did it take so long for a woman to go through ranger school? Mm-hmm. So I would love it if we played a small role in helping normalize the presence of women all across the soft communities, you know, ranger, seals, um, green berets, whatever. And I think it is becoming more normal. I mean, I was just at an event out in Helena uh, where we were honoring, you know, the, some of the first formations of special operations and the first female green beret was out there. And she yeah. was a unit. Okay, I'll right. say a unit. Okay, <laughs> I put my arm around her in a picture and I was like, maybe I shouldn't put my arm around her. She's kind of making me look small. She was buff <laughs> and she looked like a Viking. Okay, <laughs> nice. for those of you who don't know who she is, she was tremendous and she was super kind and very nice and just. I could tell though at the same time a bulldog. Somebody that got her way and got things done. You know, it was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I am excited about the future of what you ladies are bringing to the table. And uh, I'd prefer, you know, if we didn't look at it as ladies and men in that way, in that, you know, yes, we're unique and we're special in our own ways, but you have a tremendous thing to bring to the table. And I think you've shown that. And I appreciate it. I just want to say that personally. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tim. Yeah. Uh, Annie, I can't wait. Tonight. Gala. Gala. It's going to be cool. We're going to dress up. We're going to look fancy in our clothes. You ladies are going to look way better than I will look, but I will have a cowboy hat on because I'm from Texas. I'm very excited about it. My buddy Nate will be there. I'll introduce you to him. And uh, it's going to be an amazing time. I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for being a part of this so we can, you know, memorize your history and get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Thank you for having me. For those of you listening, don't forget, most of all, our legacies are the mission. Eve Mayora. I got it right. Yes. Sergeant Major. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. We appreciate you being here, Eve. And uh, it, it's awesome that you're at this event. Are you excited? I am super excited. Thank you for having me, first of all, here. Uh, it's an honor to be surrounded by all my CSTs and FTPs. Um, and just, you know, remember all the good old days. Yeah, absolutely. You know, last night when uh, Joe was talking about Shannon Kent, I was watching, first of all, his beautiful curls. And, uh, you know, he looked great. But when he came on and talked about Shannon, I got emotional, for sure. I had tears, you know, streaming down my cheeks because of the significant contributions that are sometimes not recognized. I've told so many people about Shannon uh, dying in Syria, and a lot of people don't even know about that. You know, it's it's tremendous sacrifice that she made for this country. As uh, I believe it was her friend said that was uh, served with her said, you know, it's the greatest sacrifice that somebody can give is their child, and her parents were there as well. So that was incredible. You Absolutely. If talk about your past, uh, you grew up, where did you grow up? So I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. South Central? Yes. Oh, a city South filled side. with uh, gang, crime, uh, lots of drugs. Okay. Uh, do you most know? people remember it from the LA riots. Yes, yes. Do you know Karehe? I do know where Karehe okay. is, actually. My, my children's 
father is from there. Oh, wow. <laughs> My friend Josue Barone is from there. He was okay. a three five Marine, and he was involved in gang life out there. Lost his leg and an eye, unfortunately, in Afghanistan, but uh, total stud. Love that dude. So you're from South Central LA. Can you talk about what happened growing up to make you want to live this life and do what you do now? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, just growing up in a big city, ridden with uh, gangs, a lot of violence, a lot of drugs. Um, I just wanted something different for myself. Um, I'm, I'm a firstborn generation Mexican-American. My parents are immigrants. Um, you know, they both became citizens at one point. Um, but financially, we just didn't have the money or my parents didn't have the money to send me to school. Uh, initially, I, I'd never joined for college. I didn't plan. I didn't even know the Army provided <laughs> money for college. I just wanted to graduate from high school. And since, again, they couldn't afford college for me, even though I got accepted, I was a uh, honor, honor roll student. You know, I had, a, had taken AP classes. I graduated with 3.8. It's just they couldn't afford to send me to school. So um, at the time, my thought process was if I don't leave when I graduate, I'm just going to be another product of my environment. Um, so I made the decision to join the Army. And initially, I was going to just join for three years and then go back and be a police officer because uh, at the time I had been in a, what's called the LAPD Cadets or Explorers. Um, most people either know them either or uh, I had been doing that program for about three years. And I think that really stayed, set the stage for me being successful in the military. And I never left. So here I am 20 years later. Wow. 20 years later, you could retire. I could, yes. But the intent is uh, maybe a couple more years. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yes. Talk about getting into, so 20 years, so you joined in 2002. Correct. Early part of the war. Correct, post 9-11. Were you scared? You know, Did you think a lot about that? A lot of people ask me that, but I think at the time, I mentally, I didn't know what was happening, right? I didn't, I mean, I knew that we were under attack, the United States were. I knew that we had adversaries. Uh, I knew that the United States was going to counter our adversaries, but I don't think mentally I, I had processed all of that, what that entailed, right? I didn't mm -hmm. see that it would entail 15 plus years of war. Yeah. So. You heard the Toby Keith song, we'll stick a boot in your ass, this is the American Correct. way, and then you joined. <laughs> <laughs> the true story. <laughs> what What do you think, uh, what about your background, you know, helped you in the United States? Or obviously, your parents were hardworking. We they that. were. I think my mom cultivated that hard work in us. I've always been a hard worker. I've always, um, I always try to lead with a lot of empathy. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes I get criticized for it, but it's those messages I get from my soldiers of thanking me, you know, for being there for them, even giving them the hard truth it's really what matters to me all those awards and evaluations that don't mean anything and that's led to an incredible career 20 plus years now you're in a sergeant major role that's a supreme leadership role one i was scared of i remember <laughs> it yes i shammed all the time that's right tim k shammed yep you heard it here first on the veterans project podcast <laughs> i shammed a lot uh i ran from your rank but you, you said it's not something to be scared of. You uh, express leadership through empathy and love. Do you think your soldiers feel safe in coming to you? Do you have an open door policy? I've always had an open door policy. I mean, not just with my soldiers. I think with my peers. Mm -hmm. um, I, I try to, what I ask for my soldiers, I try to do that with my leaders, right? When I need help, I try to ask for it. Uh, I know it was something I had a really hard time when I was a younger NCO. I was very driven. You know, I grew up in the 82nd, hard charging, just yelling at people. 80 seconds all the time. hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it, as I think it's my time in the military um, continued, is just my leadership style change. You know, you don't have to 
uh, force people to do things they should want to do it because right. they feel that you care. Nine years from 2002, uh, a thing called CSTs came around, right? Correct, yes. Um, what Were you excited about that program? I actually, I really was. My mm-hmm. unit at the time, I was actually deployed when I applied to the CST program. Where? Where to? I was in uh, Afghanistan. Oh, okay. So, I was so already was that there. your first tour or second? No, no that was done... my fourth tour. Fourth tour? Yeah, I have five Jeez. total. Oh, wow. I have so... three to Iraq and two to Afghanistan. How, uh, get, go back to that, though. Iraq, how was that? Uh, <laughs> how were those tours? They were all very different. Okay. Um, you know, one was with the 82nd. Um, the second one was with the Joint Special Operations Command. That was really my exposure, my first exposure to special operations. And then the third one was with the 40th Engineers out of um, Germany. And then uh, concurrently, I did a second deployment with the engineers. And then my last deployment, obviously, being with the CSTs. Right. Did you enjoy those deployments? Do you feel like you had a profound effect on the environment and the way that things were done or your unit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All in a different way, right? Every uh, deployment was different. Uh, Every, I mean, we all came there with different capacity, capability. Uh, But yeah, I think they've all impacted me in one way or another, some Mm -hmm. positive, some negative. Um, But yeah, overall, I think it's made me who I am today. Were you able to return with all your guys home on all those deployments? Um, Not on all of them. No. no. You lost some. We have, yes. Yeah. Did you want to talk about those people? Do Do you, who do you remember most? Uh, I would say the last uh, person we lost was Pike, Chief Petty Officer Pike. He was uh, part of SEAL Team 5, Tactical Platoon 3. Um, I, unfortunately, I wasn't on that mission when he passed away, but um, it was very heartfelt that the SEALs called us to let us know that Mike passed away. You know, obviously, they knew we were part of the team. Yeah. Um, and they invited us to his uh, memorial ceremony at uh, Camp Brown. Wow. And we stood in line with them, um, you know, gave him his last salute, and hopefully we continue to memorialize him and hopefully he's proud of us mm-hmm. i'm sure he is it, it, things like that are hard or do moments like that really make you privy to the sacrifices make you understand the depth of the sacrifices that you know you guys are going through and being over there yeah absolutely i mean you know it's it's, it's really hard when you lose someone it's never easy no matter what i mean it within your family friends deployed or not deployed right? i think it gives you appreciation for life it makes you think and remember that everything you do should be for them and for yourself as well, right? Be the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, not slack off. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to, but I do sometimes. Uh, what about that, you know, getting into the CST and the CST program? What were you made aware of that made you want to go that route? Uh, so I knew it was an all-female opportunity, right, deployed uh, with the special operations. So at the time, I was, uh, like I said, I was just coming off of uh, deployment with the in- uh, engineers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was uh, already getting assigned to their special forces group. Cool. Um, so as soon as I got to uh, Fort Bragg, you know, I attended the assessment and selection. And then I PCS to Fort Bragg shortly after once I, uh, I got accepted and passed. And then, yeah, I was just, I mean... It wasn't my first time supporting special operations, so I just wanted to kind of get a taste back at it. What was the pipeline like? Was it tough coming to CST? Um, Was it it hard? You know, everybody's going to have a different answer. Physically, it was very demanding, but I prepared myself or I felt I prepared as much as I could. Um, You didn't sleep a lot, so you were very sleep deprived. And then, you know, I think the second phase was really where everything kind of came together, right? You had medical training, you had uh, shooting training, uh, the stress test, um, longer rock. So and then now you bring in a lot more women mm-hmm. 
Um, and that always did, brings a different dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I, I didn't see it as very difficult. I mean, it was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, at least, much like I stated, I thought I prepared as much as I could. So. And you were integrated in with 3rd Special Forces Group. Uh, so that was the unit I was assigned to, but mm-hmm. no. So when I deployed as a CST, uh, I was on the commando mission, which is uh, we're conducting direct action missions with SEAL Team 5, Tactical Platoon 3. And then concurrently, I think about midway, uh, we I was attached to a VS, VSP, so a okay. Village Stability Platform out in VSP Gorak, out in Soda South. Okay. And uh, I was attached to two teams there, 7112 and 7425 uh, with 7th Special Forces Group. Did you feel accepted by the SEALs when you were brought in? Did you feel like Um, things were pretty easy stepping into that role? So I think with the SEALs, it was slightly easier because we were coming in behind a TST team. Okay. Um, So we didn't have much difficulties there. Mm. Um, I mean, they took us out on missions. And obviously, you also have to, you know, show them that you're capable of performing right right yeah. and especially not just um when you're not on the objective but also on the objective yeah um yeah and then i would say the um special forces team i mean they were a little hesitant at first yeah. um but understanding that they were the ones that requested us <laughs> right so i mean yeah you have some challenges but I, we overcame those challenges and majority of the um special operators you know i still talk to today they're like my brothers i reach out to them you know when i'm having a difficult time understanding something um and a lot of times they give me great advice sometimes they don't <laughs> <laughs> sometimes um, they don't as a yeah, joke <laughs> but you know they they've we've become a family yeah um or at least the people that i uh deployed with yeah so and i think a lot of that comes from the professionalism right that we displayed uh my partner and i cst's mm-hmm. so so direct action missions what are those like what is it like being embedded with a seal team yeah, that's doing those um, well, I mean, it, it, it's a great opportunity, right? Not many, uh, females, let alone enablers get to do. Um, so it was great. I mean, they went in, they did all the hard stuff, right? We came in behind them. We tactically questioned the women and children. We searched the women and children. Sometimes we would find things on them. Other times, you know, we just provide additional information, um, for either personalities they were looking for mm-hmm. or other uh, nefarious activities. Yeah. So. What do you feel like was your greatest effect in being over there? Like, what do you feel had the biggest effect on the overall mission of what you were doing? I mean, there had to have been a time over there where you're like, that was really cool. Or maybe that sucked at the time, but it's like you got what you needed. No, you know, uh, I would say the biggest impact, and again, I was very purview and privileged to be part of two different uh, mission sets. Um, So with the commando mission during the DA missions, it was just, when you found what you were looking for, right? And we were the ones that found it. Mm-hmm. That was like great because it, understanding that without us and not being able to search the women and children, they would not have been successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Now looking back on your career and leadership, you said your leadership style hasn't changed. You lead with empathy and love and, you know. Oh, no, it has changed. Oh, it has changed. Yeah, it, it did. <laughs> were you hardcore and mean back in the day? I was. <laughs> I think you might have missed that when I initially started South talking. Central LA. Yeah, I never so, would have known. <laughs> 82nd baby, you know, I was yeah. airborne all the way. I was very strict, um, mm-hmm. very by the book, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that definitely has changed throughout the years. I think a lot has to do with my deployment, right, just um, – understanding soldiers more understanding yourself more mm-hmm. uh, as a leader and yeah I, I think i'm now at a place where i feel more comfortable with myself where are you based out of now 
I am based out of Fort Bragg. Okay, Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. Still, so with the 82nd? I am not. No, okay. I won't ask <laughs> uh, any more details. I don't questions. know. The Army might end my career Yeah, there, I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm currently uh, with the First Special Forces Command. Oh, cool. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And do you enjoy the work there? I do. I really do enjoy it. You're so. surrounded by some professionals, for sure. Absolutely. Some yeah. quiet, quiet professionals. Oh, yeah. But professionals, yes, absolutely. Do you like the environment at Bragg? Um, yes, I like it. I mean, it's my third time there, so... Okay. Um, you know, I don't mind it. Yeah. I, I don't plan on retiring there, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's okay. Do you, so you said your leadership style has changed now that you're a sergeant major and, you know, you said you have that open door policy with soldiers. Is it easy to express that to them? Do you have to make it aware to their squad leaders and, you know, even your platoon sergeants making them aware that, hey, I am here for you? Or do they get that immediately? No, I mean, I try to get to know my soldiers. Um, on a different level right i don't like i like to like hey tell me about your family let's go grab some coffee i don't like to do counselings with just paper right i would take them out to lunch i would take them on a ruck i would take them on a run you know just depends just to kind of get that um, shield down from them and understanding that i see them as individuals not just you know as a leader right so moving forward now you're at this tremendous event with all true you see all these incredibly capable women around you. Their strength evident every single day you're here and every single day that you've worked with them. Why do you think events like this are so important? And why is it something that you wanted to attend? I think these events are important because, you know, as women veterans, our stories are lost. You know, most people will look at me and be like, oh, I didn't even think you were a soldier. You don't look like one. And I'm like, well, what is a soldier supposed to look like? Right. right. Um, and I think it's important for us to have that camaraderie to support each other, um, to get each other through hard times. Right. To understand that there's uh, people we can reach out to. Um, yeah. And just celebrate ourselves. Mm, yeah. Like if we don't celebrate ourselves, who will? Who will. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here for. And that's why we're doing this. The FTPs. Let me ask you about them. Okay. So what about that program is so important to your overall mission and and why do you think it's so imperative that those exist so i was not a part of the ftps i didn't get to train them okay um but understanding what some of my cst counterparts have told me you know obviously they were very important for their afghan mission because it's their country right you know it is their country and i think it was a phenomenal program that they instilled in the uh, afghans and it's very much like us right just in a different location right so what do you, what's important most to your legacy and like, how do you want people to look back at you and what you've done and accomplished in the Oof, army? That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> you got a little beautiful daughter. Yes. Who's going to be thinking deeply about what mommy did and, you know, and she's going to know her mom's history, I'm sure, at some point. And uh, you've done something that's pretty badass. I mean, more badass than anything I ever did. So what do you think about, what, why is legacy so important to you? And what do you, how do you want to be remembered? I think I would want to be remembered as someone, you know, who challenged, who challenged not only the military and accepting women, you know, in different roles, uh, but also challenged herself, mm. right? To do something above and beyond, something that's more important than me, something that's going to affect generations after me uh, with within military, excuse me, women in the military. Mm-hmm. And why do you think women in the military are so important? I mean, you saw it in a really big role being a CST. Why do you think that role is so important? I think it's important because as we sit here, you know, military is 80% men. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and women, we get diminished a lot. You know, men, some men see us as objects. Some men see us as, you know, we don't bring anything to the table. A lot of times we have to work twice as hard and we shouldn't. We shouldn't have to work twice as hard just because we're females, right? Right. Uh, like I earned a place in the table just as much as my peers have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just important to remove that stigma from the army. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you? What are your goals going forward? You know, what do you want to do? What, what's the next step for Eve? What does she want to do when she steps out of her role as, you know, takes off the sergeant major cap and then puts on the civilian cap? And what are you most nervous about in stepping out of that? I mean, because it is a big transition. You've been in for over twenty years now. That's huge. You had a incredibly sterling career, and then you step out, and nobody cares. Trust me, I've been there. You know, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's the wildest transition for those that step out. Every single operator, soldier, marine that I've talked to said the same thing. Even the ones that are making a huge impact in the civilian space. We meet one of them tonight, Nate Boyer. Uh, but Nate stepped out and he said, I, "I didn't know what to do. Like I had no clue. I had some idea, but it was scary, man. Like I'm very important. I'm a green beret." And then all of a sudden, people are like, "What's a green beret?" You know? Yes. Yeah. So, so what are you most fearful of in stepping out of the military when you do? You know, there are some fears, but for whatever reason, as a woman of faith, like I just have felt very comfortable in the mindset of like. I will be retiring in two to three years, mm-hmm. right? For me, like, it doesn't stop there. Like, I have to find a way to be successful because as a single parent of two children, two and four, like, I don't have an option. Right. So ideally for me, my plan is to go to school for a year, work on my uh, master's on applied behavior analysis. And um, just I have some skills from the military that I think will set me up for success. You know, I, I, for me, I think some people have a hard time letting go of the uniform and I don't think I'm going to have a hard time for that because I'm more than a soldier. I'm a mom, I'm a sister, you know, I'm a student. I'm in school right now as it is. Um, I actually really like photography as well. Oh, cool. (laughs) We could talk about that all the time. Absolutely. Um, so no, I mean, I think there are some fears of how life will be. Um, but I think I've, I've, set myself up for success financially, uh, mentally. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm sure there's going to be times when I miss the military, but I can always reach back to those that I still have impacted and just, you know, be a mentor to them as I continue to be now. Absolutely. And still have an impact. Yes, 100%. And have a greater impact. I've seen so many veterans step out of this space. Catherine's doing it right now. There's a lot of veterans who've stepped out of the military, taken off that uniform, and who are now having a much more profound effect. Now, let me tell you, with the Veterans Project, I have a much greater impact on the community than I than I ever did when I was in the military. Most of the time, I was just like running away from things. You know, I was in the military. It's like, ah, I can't wait to be out. Uh, and then I went and got my master's degree, and I started this, and this has become, you know, a snowball effect where I've been able to affect a lot of lives and that's huge so you can have a great even greater impact i believe on those who've served but when you're out um you know i i talk about the intangibles a lot when you're getting out it's not really what you learned while you were in that's tangible it's really more of the being on time being very quick to hit the mark not accepting anything less than perfection, right? I drive my assistant crazy sometimes. I'm like, this isn't done. 
And she's like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. How long have you known me? We might have to do it 10 more times, but that 10th time, it's going to be perfect. We're as close to perfect as we can be. Durability, endurance, right? When a lot of civilians give up, you don't give up. So I think the intangibles that you're going to carry forward as a sergeant major, it's not really the tangible stuff. That could help for sure in whatever career path you choose. But I think those intangibles will have a huge effect. I think you're going to be surprised at how much of an impact you make. And I think it's going to be a lot of those things that you learned on the intangible side. Like I said, the timeliness, the endurance, the strength, the courage, the personal courage, and the integrity, right? How many people stick to their word nowadays? Not many. Not many. <laughs> so you obviously had to stick to your word. Otherwise, people would die, right? Like Absolutely. That's, that's a true thing. So the effects that you're going to have, Eve, on society, they, they don't have to end with their Army career. In fact, I think they'll be even greater because what's that, 2%? We need a lot of help when we get out. (laughs) I I think I realized it. Like, hey, there's 98% as society. Read read the CNN ticker like 10 years ago and was like, oh, Lance Corporal so-and-so died. Oh, that's sad. And then five years later, he's gone. Nobody remembers. What happens when the flags stop waving? I have a lot of gold star wives that say that. What happens when the flags stop waving and nobody cares anymore? And it's like you have a tremendous ability to impact society going forward so i'm excited to see what that is and what that looks like uh all you ladies are so smart i mean the guys are smart too obviously but you ladies bring something really cool and impactful to the table and i'm very thankful for you wanting to speak on that so oh, yes, thank, thank you. you for having me absolutely uh huge eve thank you for being on the podcast we appreciate you uh thanks for being here thanks for being at the gala No, thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on. Most of all, don't forget, our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.